Let us pray. Oh, gracious Lord, we come now once again to seriously consider your word, and we ask that you take the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, and make them wholly yours, that together, as a body of believers, we might grow in grace, that we might hear your holy dialogue to us. These things I ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Anybody here have Facebook? Yeah. yeah. Anybody here ever post things on Facebook, like pictures and stuff like that? Yeah. Thank you, Liz. I know. Well, um, somebody, and I won't say who, Liz, um, posted <laughs> back uh, late fall. She knew I was going to be going into Mark, and so she posted this picture on my page. Now, you may not be able to see this picture or what it says, so let me tell you what it says. In the, this top left-hand corner, it says St. Matthew. So it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? Um, uh, or it's Matthew, Luke, John, and Mark. Anyways, we'll get there. St. Matthew says, Before I begin, let me give you the genealogy of Jesus so you know this is about a real person. St. Luke, who's in the upper right-hand corner, says, Before I begin, let me tell you the backstory that led up to all this. St. John in the bottom left corner says, Before I begin, let me explain why it's important to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And in this bottom right corner, with a samurai warrior and a stick in his hand, says, St. Mark, let's get down to business. <laughs> I love the Gospel of Mark because it gets right down to it. I mean, there's no birth narrative. There's, none, there's, there's, there's no genealogy. Thank you, Jesus. There's no genealogy to go through. Or any of that stuff. He's just right on. I mean, he's baptized and he's going and he's doing. The Gospel of Mark is an action-packed demonstration of Jesus' divinity and humanity. Mark's the first Gospel written, and it is the source for both Matthew and Luke's Gospels. It was written by John Mark... You might have known him from that first missionary journey that Paul took. And you might remember that Paul kicked him out of going on the second missionary journey. That's all right. The apostle Peter picked him up and he became the scribe for Peter. And his going about with Peter in his ministry, he observed Peter's sermon over and over and over about who Jesus was. And so he wrote this down. And that became the gospel according to Mark. Now, I don't have a name for this series. I wish I did have a name for this series. All I can tell you for sure is we're going to be in Mark a while. And I thought maybe like Action Hero Jesus or Adventure Jesus or Samurai Jesus. I don't know. Um, uh, and I had all these thoughts coming in my mind about shows from the 1980s, you know, like G.I. Joe and Transformers and the A-Team and, and Airwolf. You remember Airwolf and uh, Magnum P.I. and all of these adventure shows. But um, since I haven't figured it out for sure yet, I thought I'd just say that and tell you I don't have anything for you. All right. So our sermon today is about the authority of Jesus. The authority of Jesus. I'm going to be teaching about Jesus' authority today as it relates to what Mark has written here in this gospel. And we're going to see what Jesus has authority over and what Jesus does not have authority over. And as the narrative begins today, we read that they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. Now, because Mark's gospel just gets right on with it, and we don't have a whole bunch of background 
um, it's probably safe to assume that they just didn't invite Jesus to speak having never heard him speak before. He probably had developed a reputation as a teacher. In other words, by the time he got to Capernaum or Capernaum or uh, however you want to say it, um, that C word, uh, by the time he got there, it was not Jesus' first rodeo. Okay? So in this narrative, we first see Jesus' authority over Scripture. Jesus' authority over Scripture. The people were amazed, Mark writes, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Now, this word authority in the Greek means right and might. It is the power to do something. It is the authority. See, typically, when a rabbi preached in a Jewish synagogue, the rabbi would cite the works of many scholars in order to prove his point. Yet Jesus cited no one. He cited no other authors. He cited only the original author of Scripture himself. He taught as one who had authority because he was the authority. He was the Word made flesh. The authority with which Jesus spoke was so powerful Y'all, his light was so piercing that the evil present in the unseen realms was exposed and scared. In other words, sitting in that room, as well as many other places in the Near East at that time in history, was evil. And the evil was scared and challenged Jesus openly. Just then a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if somebody right now, sitting in a pew, said, What do you want with us? That'd be kind of cool. Don't do it if you're thinking about it. I was just kidding. You should know that, historically speaking, um, you know, the last piece of Scripture that was truly written was about 400 years before Jesus came to earth. But there's this intertestamental period where we have books like Maccabees and other things that come out. And during these writings um, and in the history of, 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 of Israel, there's a real rise in demonic activity right before Jesus comes. In fact, one could say that demonic activity as a whole peaked at the time of Jesus. Why? Because there was a war going on. And Satan very much did not want Jesus to be incarnated, let alone do what he did. But see, Jesus won a decisive victory against Satan. That's why we have much less evidence today of demonic activity. Now, that doesn't mean that demons don't exist. Rather, wherever the light of God shines, demons simply cannot dwell. And Jesus' light is shining all over the place. And I do think it's interesting to note that the demon in this passage knew exactly who Jesus is. He, just, he knew who he was. He knew that Jesus was the creator and the one who cast him out of his presence in paradise so many years before. So Jesus, we see that Jesus had authority over Scripture. And we now see Jesus has authority over demons or the unseen realm. By the way, you do know Christians believe in unseen things, right? 
yeah, okay, I'm just making sure, right? I mean, like this whole thing's built on stuff we, we haven't ourselves seen. All right, I'm just making sure. You need to know what you believe. Jesus said, be quiet. Come out of him. And the evil spirit shook the man violently and he came out with a shriek. See, the Son of God had come to set creation free from the power of Satan and his demons. And though he freed this man from demonic possession, Jesus' true purpose was to stop the demon from further revealing who Jesus was. And as we're going to see, that's really important. See, Jesus' earthly purpose was not going to be complete until he hung from the cross and arose from the grave. So Mark now reaffirms Jesus' authority over Scripture and demons. Mark writes, the people were all amazed. They were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. And news quickly spread around the whole region of Galilee. Duh. Yeah, it spread quickly. Jesus, having thoroughly demonstrated his authority over Scripture and the unseen spiritual world, now demonstrates his authority over nature. So we have authority over Scripture. We have authority over demons in the unseen world. And now we're going to see his authority over nature. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother, Simon, that's Peter, y'all. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, he took her hand and he helped her up and the fever left her and she began to wait on them. Like he didn't just heal her and she just sat up and like, hey, I'm doing good. She got up and got to work. That's how good she felt. Jesus here is demonstrating his authority over nature. Y'all listen, sickness, illness, disease, these weren't ever meant to be. These are byproducts of a fallen creation. These are byproducts of our broken nature. Nature is constantly turning upon itself and upon humanity. And if we're being honest, humanity often turns against nature as well. There's this cyclical dysfunctional relationship. But Jesus came into the world and he says, I have power over all this. And he showed it and demonstrated. And he demonstrated what we're going to be looking forward to someday. A time when there is no more sickness or illness or anything like that. And just like that in the midst of a fallen, broken creation, Jesus healed because he had the authority over it to do so. Mark again reaffirms Jesus' authority over nation and demons. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. By the way, please note, and this is so important, please note here the difference between healing the sick and exercising a demon. There's a difference here. When someone is possessed and Jesus exercises them, the demons go out from them. But when someone is sick, Jesus heals them. And sometimes, sometimes in our Christian circles, people get confused with that. And they think because someone is sick, there's a demon attached to them. That's just not true. In fact, I mean, I mean this in the nicest, never mind, I won't say it. Just, y'all, that's not right. 
Just because you somebody's sick doesn't mean a demon's attached to them. Clearly, there's a difference, right? And the Lord shows us. Now, after demonstrating all that authority, which is what Jesus did, Jesus needed renewal. So all them needy people zapped Jesus. So very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He just needed some me time. By the way, I love little sentences like this. These are the ones that most people overlook. We're so excited about action-packed superhero Rambo Jesus that we forget about the human part of Jesus. <laughs> right here, we just see it so clearly. In the midst of all this action of the divinity of Jesus the Messiah on display, we're met with the humanity of the Lord. He needed to be alone. He needed to breathe. He needed to breathe because of the pressure of everyone seeking him out. Seeking him out for healing or exorcism. Everyone just wanted a piece of Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And they just wanted it for their own selfish gain. But most importantly, aside from breathing, Jesus just needed to connect with his daddy. He just needed to be with a father in prayer. And isn't it interesting? Jesus never asked anybody to pray for him. He doesn't need an intercessor. He goes directly to the Father. However, Jesus' time of renewal was short-lived. Jesus goes to rest, but is literally hunted down by his disciples. Simon and his companions went to look for him. They went and they hunted Jesus down. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone's looking for you, Jesus! Hey, Jesus, come on! Everybody's looking for you! Now don't miss what happens here. See, thus far, Jesus has displayed his authority. His authority over Scripture, over demons, and over nature. But what doesn't Jesus have authority over? He's God, right? Doesn't he have authority over everything? No. He does not have authority over free will. See, the disciples, they wanted to go back to Capernaum. They wanted to enjoy this newfound fame and privilege and prestige that Jesus had because by proxy that would have made them famous. While Jesus could not control the free will of his disciples, he can and he always will have authority over his kingdom and the direction his kingdom takes. Jesus, having authority over the kingdom, now redirects his disciples. Y'all have some of you kids, you, you ever redirect your kids? Right? Right? That's probably one of the best parenting things actually learned in college, you know, uh, best way to discipline sometimes is just redirect. Redirect their attention on something positive, right? Jesus redirects their attention. We're not going to go back to Capernaum. We're not going to go back there and live off prestige and everything else. We're not going to go back there, Jesus says. We're going forward. We're going forward with a message. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. So I can preach there also. That is why I have come. To preach. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Now what happens next? Well, once again, we see Jesus' authority over nature demonstrated. You doing okay? You with me? You awake? You alive? You having a good time? Are you wondering when I'm going to be done? Listen, I'm just getting going. It's probably going to be 12, 31 o'clock before I let you out of here today. So I hope somebody brought me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. 
I'm just kidding. It won't be that late. Jesus, he goes now and, and he heals a leper. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. He was willing to clean him. And Jesus said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and that man was cured. Now, why is this significant? Well, because Jesus, Jesus was not one to follow religious rules, especially when the rules were stupid. See, for Jesus to touch a leper would have made Jesus unclean. And if Jesus was unclean, then he could not enter the house of worship. Do you all remember, my, for some reason the 80s are on my mind today, but when I was growing up in the 70s, in the 80s, um, we had to wear suits to church. Maybe, maybe did y'all have to wear suits? Like I had a three-piece suit. Like you had to wear a suit and a tie to church. If I was to walk into church like I often walk in to nowadays, um, you know, in like shorts and sometimes I don't even have shoes on, um, I'd have been unclean. I would not have been welcome there. You know, there was a protocol you follow. Jesus broke the protocol. You're not supposed to touch a leper. Not only did he touch him, he cleaned him. You see, Jesus was not interested in following religious rules. He was interested in loving on people. Jesus was never interested in following any rules. He was always interested in loving on people. And what else do we witness as chapter 1 comes to a close? Well, we witness Jesus' lack of authority over human free will and his omniscience as God. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell anyone. But go, show yourself to the priests and offer sacrifices that Moses commanded you for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, what'd that guy do? He went out and told everybody what just happened. Jesus said, don't do this. He went out and did it. Now, I've underlined that text there. Sent him away at once with a strong warning. I've underlined that because literally what Jesus does is Jesus scolded him and threw him out. He scolded him and he threw him out before he did what he did. Why do you think Jesus did that? Because he's God, he's all-knowing. He knew that this guy was getting ready to go out and blow Jesus' cover. Don't do that. So he got mad because he knew he was going to do it anyways, even though he told him not to. Why would Jesus heal a man and then become angry and throw him out, warning him not to tell others? Because Jesus knew. He knew what the healed man was going to do. So here we see omniscience, the all-knowingness of Jesus. But it also illustrates the one thing that God doesn't have authority over, brothers and sisters, and that's our free will. The man went and did exactly what Jesus told him not to do. And here's the result. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in the lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So having taken the time to tell you about the authority of Jesus, what he does have authority over, what he does not have authority. As we end this chapter, I find myself with this question, 
Why did Jesus command the leper not to tell anyone that Jesus had healed him? Because Jesus' ministry was not about the miracles. It is not about miracles. Jesus' purpose wasn't to become a celebrity healer or a celebrity exorcist. Jesus' purpose was to sow the word of redemption. I have come to preach, Jesus said. Jesus' purpose was to inaugurate the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus did not want his disciples or anyone else trying to take over or co-opt his ministry for selfish gain. Healings, exorcisms, and other wonders were never meant to be the substance of faith. They were only the signs pointing people toward the faith. Listen. Listen. Jesus does not trust a faith that is based on spectacles and feelings of the moment. Jesus does not trust a faith that is built on spectacles and feelings of the moment. Jesus does not trust a faith that's based on an emotional response and how you're feeling today. Jesus doesn't build a faith on spectacles. And neither should we. If Jesus had trusted a faith that was built upon spectacles, he would have gone back to Capernaum and instead of going on to Galilee and to eventually the cross. By the way, just curious, Randy here. Where were all the people that Jesus healed when he was hanging on the cross? Where'd they go? Huh. Where were all the people Jesus delivered from the demon possession when he was on the cross? They were nowhere to be found. Why? Because they only wanted spectacles and feel-good moments. Where were Jesus' disciples when he was hanging on the cross? They were hiding. They were hiding because it didn't turn out the way they wanted it to. They wanted a political Messiah that would overthrow Rome and restore the greatness of Israel. Jesus could have done that. He certainly had the authority to do so. But he came not for our desires, but for his. He didn't come to overthrow a government. He came and he overthrew Satan and his control over all governments, over all nature, and over everything unseen. Faith is more than spectacles and feelings. Faith is more than what we want. Faith is a gift given by the one with the authority to give it, Jesus Christ. As we begin 2020, my question to you for the new year is this, with just a little slice of Randy rhetoric. Since Jesus has the authority over all Scripture... And that means that everything that's found in Scripture should be interpreted through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Since Jesus' authority over all nature and the unseen world, since Jesus has authority over His kingdom, since Jesus has authority over everything except a person's free will, which is the first gift of grace and precedes the gift of faith, since all of these things, where in our lives 
Can we start surrendering our free will to Jesus' authority? Where can we surrender something new to Jesus in this year? We say he is our Lord. Where are we allowing the Lord to have access to in our lives? Where can we grow in our discipleship and our following of Jesus in 2020? Where can we stop putting the Lord our God to the test and instead pick up our crosses and follow him? Well, you happen to be in luck. I've got one such option for you. Only one. And the Spirit leads how the Spirit leads. But I would invite you to come tonight. Come tonight for the prayer service. It'll be from 7 to 8 o'clock. We're going to continue that vital ministry begun by our prayer team of intercessory prayer. That's not going to stop. But we're going to add to it. We're going to build on to it. And tonight, our focus is going to be on a prayer of discipleship. And on praying our way through the construction that's soon to begin. See, Christ community, we have one heck of a year ahead of us. A year that's going to be marvelous and challenging and sometimes ugly and pretty all at the same time. So let's make sure that we're walking closely together under the authority of Jesus. And we can do that through prayer. That's his word. Seriously consider this day for the Church of Christ community. All thanks and praise be to the God who has authority over us, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Hey, thanks for checking out the So What Factor. My name's Randy Bennett. I'm a United Methodist pastor, and these sermons answer the question, I hope, so what? So what? Is God real? So what am I supposed to do with my life? So what does the Bible actually say? So in every sermon, it's my hope that you'll figure out what the so what is. But if you don't know, or it wasn't clear, feel free to find me on Facebook at Randy Bennett Jr. Um, and shoot me a message. You can also email me at PastorRandyBennett at Yahoo.com. Be happy to hear your questions and, and, uh, and connect with you. So thanks for listening. Take care and God bless.